how do you create the path for your customers so they can pay a premium, brag about it, and say that they are your top customer? Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me today, I'm excited to have Carl Gould. Carl, how, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I well, appreciate you joining us on the show. And a little bit about Carl. He's a business growth expert, author, and serial entrepreneur. His career started by accident when he broke his leg and dropped out of his undergrad accounting and finance program. So at 18, he turned to what he knew best, and that's landscaping. His business and his business growth endeavors began as he doubled his business each year for the next five years until it was sold. And since then, Carl has built three multi-million dollar businesses, which all before the age of 40 um, mentored the launch of over 5,000 businesses and has trained and certified over 7,000 business coaches in 35 countries. And you've got a couple books. Uh, best-selling books on business strategy and growth, the blueprint for success, the seven stages of small business success, and yep. uh, very recently, biz develop, biz dev done right. So, uh, man, I'm excited to have you on the show and kind of dive into some of that. So, so you broke your leg in college, and you're like. Ah, this college is just not for me. I'm going to go start my own business. Is is that kind of is that kind of what happened, or were you just like what was the mindset there? Well, um, I wish I had uh, more options. Like, for example, I wanted to go back to school, but I was paying my own way, and yeah. I broke my leg December twenty second. It was right after the last day of the semester. Mm -hmm. I I had a I had a manual transmission car so i couldn't even drive my car home a friend of mine oh, had to drive back from university of delaware back up north jim my buddy jim had to drive me home and um and i i had my leg in a straight length cast for the next three months and then after that i spent three more months in physical therapy where they rebent my leg you learn how to use it again i mean it was a nightmare oh, man and um and so six months out of school and, you know, all my grants were gone, all the scholarships, yeah. you know, they, you, if you don't use them, you lose them. And, and, um, and my student loans, once you're out of school for six months, they want them paid back. Mm. So, so I'm sitting there, I haven't earned anything in forever. The only thing I really knew how to do was landscaping. And, um, and, but I did grow up in the construction industry on both sides of my family. Sure. Um, and so um, that's what I knew. I liked landscaping. I did it in high school. So I knew I could make money on that right out of the gate. So I started a design build landscape firm. Now you're able to, to double your business each year for the next five years. And you're, you're 18 when you started this business? Started when I was 18 years old. Just about yeah, so, to turn 19. Yep. So, so what, what kind of like magic wand did you have when you're 18 that you're able to double your business every year? Well, I, yeah, it would be awesome if it was the magic wand because I keep <laughs> Um, one of the one of the first lessons, Todd, that I learned, and it's it was the most valuable, probably the most valuable business lesson 
that I learned was um, that in my first year, all right, so I'm going out there, I'm just trying to get work, I'm, any referrals, any way I can hustle, any way I can get a lead. But for the entire year, that my first year, all I heard was people complaining. They were like, they would say, you contractors, you never show up, you never call back, you don't start on time, you tell me one price, you do another. And I remember saying to the prospect, I'm like, sir, ma'am, um, you know, I'm actually the guy who showed up, you know, I mean, for whatever that's worth, I, if you want me to lecture my competitors, I'll do that later. But do you want to talk about the project or do you want to keep telling me how bad the whole contracting world is? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's just so frustrating. And, and I heard it over and over and over again. And so the next year, what I did was I took the top five complaints that I had been hearing. You don't start on time. You don't finish on time. You don't keep your prices. You don't stand behind your work. Poor job management. And I, I made a guarantee option for every project that said, if you want these five things, there's a premium, but I'll guarantee that these five things won't happen to you. And if they, any one of the five happens to you, you get your, all your money back. And all of a sudden, I my phone rang off the hook. I was... I was overrun with leads, overrun with leads. And I was like, holy crap, you know? And so every time I went out, I offered everybody a standard proposal based on their scope of work and my guarantee promise. And that started to outsell my, the standard two to one. So hmm. people were willing to pay a premium just so I would start on a certain day, finish on a certain day and not jack up the price in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the job. And, and so I realized that leveraging the complaints about your industry are more powerful than talking about your features, advantages, benefits, and your U USP and your unique selling proposition and all this other crap that everybody else is screaming about on their website. I was, I felt like I was shooting fish in a barrel. I'm like, this, are you kidding me? Like I would walk in, I won jobs on a bid situation as the high bid because I put the guarantee version in there. I would, they're supposed to take the low bid. I was the high bid and still won. Yeah. I was winning jobs like crazy because they, everyone, and, and what I was getting was all the frustrated people. My clientele tended to be the frustrated people that were willing to pay more for better service because they were just sick and tired of the crappy service they were getting. And I'm like, whoa, there's a premium in this. Hmm. And and the business just took off. I mean, it took off. We doubled every single year until I sold it. So find out what's wrong. Like find out what your customers is complaining about and what the, what's wrong with that industry. And I could have told you that. Like you didn't have to tell me what was wrong with the contracting industry. I could have told you that. And I think a lot of people can. The, and, and a lot of people don't even have the, like it's never happened to them but they just hear it so much that these yep. are like the, the five things that they're so frustrated with these contractors for. And so you just see in that and you say, and this is, this is the complaint. I'm going to then hit that complaint and tell people, this is how we do business. And all of a sudden your business explodes. It makes so right. much sense. And every industry probably has that. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. And you, and you're, and you're hundred percent right. Everyone knows what they are. There's no secret what the problems are. The question is, who's got the guts to take them on, right? So what are the top five things that, 
you know, you don't like about going to an amusement park. All right. Well, there's long lines. Uh, you know, you got to wait for the, you got to wait for the uh, rides. You know, they, um, dirty. they all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And so the parking got to park too far away. So yeah. what does Disney do? They give you the express pass, pay a little bit more. You don't wait on lines. We'll come and shuttle you, right? We'll come and shuttle you. We have little pickup points all around. You don't have to walk across the parking lot anymore. And so they're like, bam, done. Netflix took the top five complaints of what it meant to go to a blockbuster video. And in, in no time flat, they dismantled the top player in the industry. And that was started by one guy in his house, you know, that yeah. didn't like late fees. Yeah. Took on the you know, problem. Find the complaints because that's what's top of mind of your customers. And it's it's not hard to find the complaints. You'll find them. Just read the reviews of your competitors and you and you. You know, what did they like? What did they didn't like? They'll tell you what they don't like, you know. Um, or what are the objections you get when you're selling? Someone will say, Well, uh, well, yeah, we'll start on this. Will you really though? You know, is it really gonna cost that or is it gonna be more later? Just listen to the objections you get during the sales process. And then the third place you look is when you get hired, ask them, why did you hire me? Thank you for the business. And why me? And you said, well, you do this better than the other ones. Or you were saying something the other ones weren't saying. And, you know, so the, so the, um, uh, there's no secret to what they are yeah. and they're easy to find. You just find them and, you know, people will tell you right away, but you got to take them on and you got to really promise them. And so it's not, it's not price. You're, and actually you're quite frankly saying it's the opposite. People are going to pay more money and they're happy to pay more money. If, not if, only that, they will, Todd, they will brag about it. Th think about this for a moment. Who do you know that went on their dream vacation or bought their dream car or bought the watch that they always wanted to buy or the piece of jewelry they've been saving up for years and then complained about the price? Mm -hmm. or do they brag about it yeah you know what i mean they're yeah. like oh yeah i sat front row but you know that's my favorite band yeah the prices was 250 bucks but so worth it so yeah i sat so right behind it. home plate i was right on the 50 yard line yep. i was center ice oh my god yeah they're not talking about the price they're talking about i was center ice yeah you know so um yeah so you we we encourage our clients now how do you create the path for your customers so they can pay a premium, brag about it, and say that they are your top customer? And, Every business should have that. And are you worried at all about, you know, you, you're looking for the top? Uh, obviously, when you're going after that, you're going after a customer who's not nearly as price conscious. Obviously, there's a price right for everything, but they're not nearly as price conscious. Are you worried about then not have enough customers to where, you know, you're charging too much. So now you can't serve these other people. Are you worried about that at all? Or no, it's rare, very rare. You, you would have to be so niched down and have such a small customer base where that would ever be a problem. But in today's day and age, it really shouldn't be a concern because you're, mm -hmm. you know, Mercedes Benz doesn't worry about, do we have enough customers? I mean, they are a tiny player in the market. They really are. Yeah. I mean, when you look at some of the other big Matt Tesla is not as tiny compared to Mercedes Benz, but they're one of the highest value, you know, 
Tesla is worth more than than one of the largest uh, manufacturers on the planet, General Motors. So there's always a market for people where that you're passionate about, you know, Um, and, and now with just we're in a global economy, it's easy to distribute to that group. I mean, the only the exception would be if you're a general store in a tiny town and and all of a sudden you're going to start charging nine dollars for a Jolly Rancher. Yeah, that would you wouldn't do that. But you would what you would do, though, is you would find out what does that group really want and what premium would make sense for them if they were to choose it and then give it to them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, I mean, look, you've you've um, built three multi-million dollar businesses and and you've helped a ton of other businesses. I mean, thousands of other businesses. What are some of the mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make? You've made yourself. What are some of the mistakes that that you see and how can we learn from them? Yeah, there's a couple of themes that kind of run through, um, you know, especially early stage when companies are are still getting their proof of concept. They will um, they will underprice their services because they think they're new and they have to discount their way to market share. Right now, companies that are established that have a new product or service or they're launching a new product line, they will often also make the mistake of discounting their way or trying to discount their way to market share. And I don't mean you can't ever have a promotion, but they'll they'll just underprice it, you know. Mm-hmm. And what they'll do is they'll end up with clients that. Um, uh, either undervalue it or will never pay what the what the actual true value is. Um, the other thing that clients make is the biggest mistake all the time is they will put a pause on their marketing or sales operations, their campaigns. Mm-hmm. And part of the reasons they'll do that is they'll say, "Oh, I got all the clients I can handle. I uh, I gotta I gotta fulfill all these orders. We gotta shut off the lead generation machine." And they as soon as they do that. Todd, they get caught in this feast and famine syndrome where they, you know, they're, they're, they're feasting on leads and then they have to feast on fulfillment where then they're starving for leads. And then they get themselves into this rhythm. But worse than that, what happens is pretty soon you, you, you have all these leads, right? So you start to fulfill, you have all this cash in the bank. Then at the end of that fulfillment cycle, you say, oh, we ought to ramp up and, you know, start, uh, you know, start uh, bringing in more clients again. But during that period, while you do that, you start giving back all of the the gains you had from the last growth cycle because you had to buy extra inventory. You you got a bigger office or warehouse. You hired some extra people. And while you're in famine mode, you still have all of the expenses from feast mode. And so what happens is you start to get a strain on cash. Mm. And so anytime you ever hear somebody say, Oh, well, Todd, I started to grow my business, but then I ran out of cash. And then I, uh, you know, then I had to pivot. Well, they ran out of cash because of what I just said. They either, they either shut off or pause their marketing or sales, or, you know, they weren't charging enough. Uh, they had a pricing issue where they were discounting their way to market share. They ran out of, they don't have a cash problem. They have a pricing problem and they have a sales and marketing problem, you know? Um, and so those are a couple that I see right out of the gate that a lot of that is very common among the companies that we work with. 
Yeah. Very good. Well, I, I see a lot of companies and you hear about this and my wife was in the marketing industry for a while and would say this would happen all the time is uh, the economy starts to, to dive and the companies, of course, are looking for ways to cut costs. And so one of the easiest things they can do is cut their marketing costs. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst mistake ever. Yeah. You um, and now look in the growth of every business. Revenue and sales is always going to push operations. Operations is never going to be like fully up to speed, totally perfect, got all the systems in place. It just doesn't happen, right? And because you're because you're not going to, you know, you've got to pay it forward a little bit in business, but you don't want to pay it forward so much that it it restricts your ability to grow. So you're going to you're going to sell it, then you're going to build it. You're going to sell the next thing, then you're going to build it. You're not going to build the whole thing, then sit around and hope people show up. Those days are long gone. You're going to, so you, you should, what you do is you set your goals for your business. You set how many leads would I have to generate at what close rate in order to hit those goals. And then you never shut off the marketing engine ever. Mm-hmm. And that is your job as a business owner to make sure you have enough salespeople to handle the leads. And then you have enough ops to fulfill the orders when the sales team close those leads at their, at their, you know, uh, whatever their ratio is. So you need a hundred leads a month. You never, you get a hundred leads every month. And if you can't maintain, if you can't handle those leads, then sell those leads to another company. But it's just too hard to stay in the lane of knowing exactly what create, get, get somebody to buy from you. You can't shut it off. It's, it's a disaster to do it. It's a big mistake. It's like stopping the train. You stop a train, it, it takes a long time to get it back started up again. On a hill. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not going downhill. Yeah. You know. Oh, here's a good place. No, that's the worst place. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, you know, we talked about leveraging the complaints in the industry, and I think that's so like. I, I've actually, I've never heard anybody say that quite frankly. And, and it's, it's so easy to think about now that you've said it, but I've never heard anybody say that. So that, that's, that's so valuable. And I appreciate you saying that. Is there other ways that you can kind of stand apart from your competition, from the other people in the industry, from the other companies in the industry? Is there, are, are there other ways or is that your main focus right there? Well, you're, uh, I mean, that's the, that will help build your business model, right? But you can, there's a lot of different ways to differentiate. You could have, um, for example, you can go after a different target demographic. You can be just for men, just for women. You know, um, uh, you know, the Dollar Shave Club is clearly going after men. Harry's is clearly going after men, right? But Victoria's Secret is clearly going after women, right? So you could, you, you know, you can, you can segment and niche yourself down for, for differentiation. And that's another way to really separate yourself. And, and because you can, the more you niche down, the more likely you are to get somebody who is incredibly passionate about what you do. And they tend to be very loyal. So for example, Facebook is for the masses, right? And it's a great platform. But how passionate are people about Facebook, right? We're on it because it's where everyone else is. It's good. In the beginning, it was a very niche and exclusive product. And, you know, you were Ivy League, you were exclusive, you were Harvard. 
yeah, I wanted to be there, but now it's for everybody. So, you know, when the next Facebook comes along, everyone's going to jump on that. I mean, if we were incredibly loyal to social media platforms, there would be nobody on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok. We'd all be on Facebook. But as soon as the new one comes out and it's pretty cool, we're all on it. You know what I mean? So, um, but if you start getting into a specific group on, you know, or you're, you, you download an app that gets you into a certain mastermind group where a, a, set exclu- a very exclusive membership is, that's a different ballgame. So the further you mix down, you likely get people that are more targeted towards you. You know, like I can, uh, the Amazon Kindle, again, great service, but am I passionate about the Kindle or am I passionate about the books that are on there? You see what I mean? Yeah. So if I'm more general, you know, um, and not, and I mean, I love my Kindle. I love my Audible and I, and I, and I devour stuff on there. Um, but you know, if the next Kindle came along, I'm probably on that one. You know, everybody jumped on clubhouse overnight, yeah. the social media yeah. platform, you know, and well, what you, everything you can do on clubhouse, you can do on every other platform. So what are yep. you doing on clubhouse? Yep. You know, because there's not that necessary that necessarily that loyalty to it. Uh, however, if I am a, um, what would be a good example? All right. If I am a um, serious hiker, as an example, <clears throat> I, I like to go hiking. That's my passion. That's my hobby. I'm going to be very loyal to the places that make kick-ass gear, have great, you know, educational videos, great yeah. how-tos, where are the best hikes in the world, where are the best trails. I'm going to be incredibly loyal to that, that, that product and service. See what yeah. I mean? Because I'm yeah. really niched down, you yeah. know. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Um, yeah, so so niche down. So, uh, you know, I've so I do um, I do coaching. I, I I mentor people who are looking to get into multifamily, and I, so a lot of the stuff you're saying right here is like, wow, that, that's that's some good stuff. Um, one of the things I struggle with is pricing because I look at it and go, well you know, does somebody really want to pay that price for the coaching? And I see some of the, what, what some of my competitors charge. And it's like, do I really, do I really need to, or do I want to charge that much? What is it like, what do you think on the pricing? First of all, what does it say about you as a business owner on, on where you price your service or your product? Um, and I guess, what is it? What does it do as well to your sales if you're priced at the bottom or at the top? Let's just talk about the different pricing structures and, and kind of where. Sure. I think a lot of people struggle with with pricing. I think most people probably underprice. That would be my guess. I would agree. Yeah, and it's look, pricing is very emotional because once you put it out there, you're out there. You know. Yeah. Now we are in a season of business called winter the season of business that we are in and it's not winter i'll make them all right i'll make my first minnesota joke it's winter for you you get two days of summer haha okay good all right so uh but you're we're in the season of winter not because it's on the calendar but because you know in 2005 we entered one of our 20 to 25 year cycles and it's anticipated it's going to go until 2029 
right? And what's in what's indicative of winter are a number of things. It's very volatile. There are major corrections always to every winter. Winter comes around every 80 years or so. And it always, there's a world conflict is what is in common with every winter. And this pattern has gone back for the last 500 years. So this is a, there's a book called The Fourth Turning, if you want to check it out, that chronicles all of this. And we are in winter. Our world co conflict right now is COVID, right? 80 years ago, it was World War II. 80 years before that, you know, Civil War. You go back, there's every 80 years you go just about, there's a lifetime world conflict. It just so happens the pandemic is ours right now, all right? But what happens in, in winter specifically is consumers defer to experts, all right? They, they have one chance with their money. I can't take a second chance. I only have one shot. So I'm going to put my money with an expert. Okay, so now that's really important to know because as soon as you list your pricing, as soon as you put your pricing out there, you do two things. You tell the whole world who you are. Are you the Rolex or are you the Timex? They're both great companies. They're both great um, timepieces, but they're different. Are you, a, are you a Volvo? Are you a Honda? Are you a Tesla? They're all good products. But you tell you tell the you're telling the industry who you are. More importantly, you're telling your customer who they are, and that's the big that's the big thing you got to you have to understand is if you price yourself in such a way that you're telling the people, oh, I'm the value guy, so are you. You buy economically. What if they don't? What do you mean? You go tell a whole bunch of Rolex people that oh, we're going to start discounting Rolexes. Those people will run so fast from Rolex. It'll make your head spin because they don't, they buy Rolexes partially because no one else can afford it. Yeah. Right. They're unique. So pardon me. They're, they're part of a club basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Every group, every one of your client groups is a club. Yeah. It says, which club are you in? And they're all good clubs. There's no right club or wrong club. So your pricing strategy is the number one way that you communicate to your clientele. Now we happen to be in a cycle of business where people defer to experts Here's how you price yourself to intrinsically create the perceived value that you're the expert. You either have to be among the highest priced in your niche or the lowest priced in the niche. Hmm. In the middle, in winter, is suicide. Hmm. Okay? You are just noise. Nobody hears you. No one's paying attention to you. You don't discount in winter. You got to pick your path. You're either the highest priced or you're the lowest price, you're, but you're not in the middle, right? Otherwise, you're just noise because people won't recognize you as an expert in the middle. They'll only recognize you as an expert, top or bottom. Now, for most people, it's harder to be at the bottom. That's Google, Walmart, you know, that's huge volume. And for most small business, that's not the place that you can be, okay? Because uh, you, you simply can't do the volume. Yeah. Now, nice for us, small business, it's actually easier to be the higher priced. And with that comes terrific margin. It's more lucrative. You don't need as many clients, the whole bit. So it works as a package. Now, does that mean you have to be the highest price? No, you don't have to be the highest price. And there are a number of ways that you can work your pricing model. So for example, if you're doing a coach, do you hold a mastermind group? Yeah. 
Yep. What's your mastermind cost? Uh, right now it's, it's 15,000. 15,000. Great. Which is right in the middle. Which is right <laughs> in the middle. That's right. That's right. And, um, and so, you know, your, your top, your platinum emerald top group, they would pay you 30 grand tomorrow. Yeah. Part, and there's a reason why they'll pay you 30 grand because they don't want the 15, the people who can afford 15 in the group with them anymore. Because your 30 grand people, they got serious businesses. They don't want to jack around. They don't want somebody else in the group that doesn't belong there that's saying, oh, so uh, what's a lean release? You know what I mean? Like, they don't want that. You know, that, you know, should I, should I raise my rent? Like the 30 grand people, they're like, dude, come on. We're so far past that. The 15,000 people want to be in the room with the $30,000 people, but the $30,000 people don't want to be in the room with the $15,000 people. Right, the thirty thousand dollar people want want to pay you thirty grand, so you go out and not only uh, provide everything you've got, right, everything, every strategy you have, but they also want you to bring in other experts that are going to show them how to elevate their game as well. Yeah, that's twenty five hundred dollars a month. That's one building. That's one building that will pay for that whole mastermind, and they will do it because they know that you're going to surround them with such solid content and other professionals that they'll easily scale beyond that. Yep. So, yeah. No, that ma that makes a lot of sense. And and I see that 100%. 100% because of the people that can afford it that you've got both, but like you said, the people that are really trying to push to the next level, they don't want to be with the people that are that kind of are stuck at that yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with like I'm a better person than you. They're just saying, "Hey, I may I've made a full commitment to my business." And I see the value in what you do. And I feel for the 15,000 people because I was there. And I here's what I know. As a 30,000 guy, you got to now find, get me around the $50,000 people. Yeah. Because you got me through the stuck part. Thank you, Todd. But I can't, I've got, you've got to give me the next level because I want to keep growing. And the, mm -hmm. and, you know, having the 15,000, the 15,000 people, they need a different set of instruction and resources and coaching than the 30,000 people. And it's, and so you want to just create those groups to match where your clientele is at. And, you know, you create the group and if you get two people in it, well, guess what? You got two people in it and you know that, you know, that you've, you've got somebody who's willing to do this. So, so here's one of the things that I, that I suggest people who are doing um, uh, that either are coaches consultants, speakers do. If you go to my website, carlgould.com, you will see on there a page called A Day with Carl. So you should create A Day with Todd. Any of you listening out there? A Day with Sally's, Sandy, Joey, Bobby, whatever. Okay. And I did this in the very beginning and, and you'll see, just go right to my page, copy and paste the script if you want, use it on your website. But it's basically saying this, I don't, you know, I don't, I've made myself available to the market in a way I've never had before. I don't spend a full day with anybody, but I will spend a full day with you. We can work on anything you want. You give the things you'll work on them with, and then you charge a fee. I would suggest you don't charge anything less than $15,000 for a day with Tom or a day with Brenda, Brian, you get it, right? You guys get it, right? So, and, and what you do is you're setting the value of your time and the value of your content right there. So I started out my first day with Carl was 2,500 bucks, baby. <laughs> 2,500. 
All and, right. I'm, and, I'm booking that tomorrow. Exactly. Right. And <laughs> that's what I learned. Everyone's like, Carl, awesome. And I was booked pretty fast. I'm like, all right. So the day with Carl became five grand. Then it became 7,500. Then it came 10 and it became 12 and it was 15. And now it's $20,000. And I, and I tell people, you feel, you walk out of here feeling you didn't get 20 grand. You let me know. I'll write you a check as you're leaving. Yeah. I'll give you 500 bucks for the flight back wherever you came from. Cause I wasted your time. All right. But you're going to get a lot more value than that out of a full day. Right. Okay. Cause I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at you. You're going to spend all day with me. I'm going to get you with my team. We're going to be doing questionnaires. I'm going to dissect your business. We're going to pull this thing apart. You're going to walk out with a pricing strategy, a business model, you name it. Right. You're going to walk away with all that stuff. Ah, well worth 20 grand. Right. And so, but the person that's going to take that up, it's not just the person that can stroke the check. It's the person that says, how will my spending that time and money with this guy, you know, get me five, 10 X. Mm. what I did. Right. Mm. And so the person who's thinking along those lines, that's the person that needs that product. You know, so I started that in the beginning, that became what we call now our discovery process. And so now I, I've, I've reintroduced a day with Carl, but I've been doing it for, oh my gosh, uh, 98, 20 something years now. <laughs> I introduced it 20, almost 25 years ago. There you go. You know, at, uh, yeah, some 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 great tips here that we've had the whole show, and, and I we could probably keep going for a long time, uh, but we got to wrap up eventually. So we and you you've actually got a, a weekly you co-host a weekly show right on iHeart uh, called Quit and Get Rich. Is that right? Yeah, we've got about three hundred and fifty episodes up there on the on the on the show. Uh, and we also do a segment called Fix It in Five, where people write in what their business challenges are, and we will fix any problem in your business in five minutes or less. So quit and get rich is quit doing the things you're not supposed to be doing and get rich is so you'll achieve your goals. Yeah, uh, that that's awesome. So so hear more from Carl because, look, this has been not enough time with, with Carl, but to hear more, uh, check that. Of course, check the, the three books, which we'll put in the show notes uh, if you missed them in the beginning. Carl, I got a couple last questions. We're going to wrap up here, but what's a favorite book you can recommend to our listeners? Of course, not one of your own. Sure. Oh, so you mean besides that? Be one. Besides the amazing books. <laughs> well, there, there's, um, uh, as a business book, I really, it's a tandem for me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Cashflow Quadrant. Yeah. Uh, those work together, especially if you're in the real estate game. Those are a great one. Um, uh, that, that was a really uh, impactful book. Um, uh, so a personal development for me was um, the uh, Celestine Prophecy. You know, it was a book about, you know, how the things in your life show up for you when you're ready for them and it, when, you're, when you're in your pursuit. So uh, the Celestine Prophecy was a really important book for me. I've read that many times over. Um, so I, I would start there. That would be my business book. That would be my personal book. Awesome. Awesome. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Um, the first one is I like to work backwards. Start at retirement age. My, my philosophy is all of us can eat today. We probably have food in the kitchen, literally. So we don't need money for today. Yes. We're not working for today. We're not even working for tomorrow. We're probably good for tomorrow too. So what I like to do is first pillar of wealth is set it and forget it. You know, figure out what your retirement would look like and start 
and, and take care of age 65, then take air, care of age 64, then take care of age 63, then take care of age 62. And as you work your way backwards, pretty soon it's going to collide with your age that you are currently. And that's when you know you made it. Hmm. When you say, hey, I'm taking care of age 43 and you're 42 and you know next year, you'll have built the wealth for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, so that's number one. Number two is wealth is all about I don't, want, I don't want to get too in the weeds on accounting, but wealth is all about the balance sheet. It's not about the P&L. So in other words, when people work with me, they say, how can I earn more and spend less? That's your profit and loss statement, meaning what are my income? What are my expenses? But your balance sheet is what do I own versus what do I owe? Yeah. And that's your true wealth. And so your business, whatever business you're in, and you happen to be in real estate. So you build wealth through real estate you know, businesses or paper assets, right? Yep. But any business you're in is nothing more than an excuse to accumulate assets. Okay, I don't care what business, you're a lawyer, great, good job. Keep arguing the case, keep winning those trials, take the extra money, buy real estate, buy, a buy another business or invest in, you know, insurance, mutual funds, you know, stock, yep. you name it, you'll, you'll get that guidance. But that's, that's your goal. Your whole job as an entrepreneur is to use your current business as an excuse to build assets. I like, I, I really like that. Uh, that, that, yeah, definitely hits. Yeah. Uh, the third one is, um, the third one is, and I know there's a lot of debate on this. I, I'm, I don't believe you have to live, you, you have to work your passion, but you've got to like it enough to want to put in the extra time. Yeah. You know, I wasn't, you know, like landscaping and being in construction, those are successful businesses, but it wasn't my calling and it was work to go to work. Mm -hmm. It was work. Now I, I, I do a business now where I probably put in more hours by choice and I don't feel like it's work compared to what I used to do, yep. which I called work and worked less hours. You're being an entrepreneur is too hard. If you are an entrepreneur you are one in 15 people to start the conversation, which means you have to walk into a room of 30 people just to meet a peer, right? If you, you know, only 4% of all businesses ever do a million dollars or more in revenue. So if you're, if you're in that 4%, that means you have to walk into a room of 1200, you're one in 600 people. You have to walk into a room of 1200 people before you meet a peer. If you do $10 million in revenue, it's 0.4% of all businesses you have to walk into a room of 12,000 people to meet a peer, wow. right? So you think about that. You Every day we walk, all, you, you, everyone who's listening here, you walk around all day, 14 out of the 15 people that you meet have no clue what it is to be you, right? It's just too hard to be you to not like what you do. Yeah. So yeah. it just takes too much energy. So I don't, I'm not. I mean, I've been, I'm still a real estate investor. I've got multifamily. I, I mean, I still do all that. I can't say I'm passionate about it. I'm freaking great at it. I'm really good at it. So I do it and I'm like, damn, another asset. Keep accumulating. I'm one more year closer to being able to be set financially. So I can't say I love real estate, but I really love what it gives me. And, you know, I stick to the parts that I like and I don't, and I don't, you know, fight. I don't do the ones and have to fight over the parts I don't like as much, but I, I like it enough to do it. Right. And yeah. it's just too hard to be good at it, to not like it. It's too yeah. much energy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same way. It's not necessarily that I absolutely love 
real estate, but I, I love the I, I, I love the aspects that I do in it, right? right? I, I love the negotiations. I, I love putting the deal together. And then I give away the stuff that I don't love. I don't love the mate, you know, running in and doing the maintenance and talking to tenants that are crabby at me because of whatever reason. So I don't deal with that stuff and I give right. that stuff away. Yeah. Somebody else loves that. Somebody else loves that. And, loves that. And you know what? Yeah. I've got a bookkeeper. I don't love doing the books. She loves it. I mean, right. that is what gets her excited is doing the books. Well, let's and give it to wants, her and not me. <laughs> and she wants nothing to do with your job. She no. looks at you and like, that guy's crazy. That I don't know how crazy. he likes that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a great match. And so, yeah, that's what I, I've just learned over the years. There's just two ways, too many ways in life to make money. Yeah. And there's two, there's enough ways that you can do pretty much whatever it is you want to do. You know, it doesn't have to be your passion, but you got to like it enough. Yep. You know, yep. I agree, man. Well, Carl, great stuff. I really appreciate it. Again, I could keep on talking uh, to you for, for a while, but this is, this has been a, a lot of fun. Uh, you've mentioned a, a few ways our listeners can get in touch with you. Any other ways we got, we got your website, but uh, any other ways they can get in touch with you? Yeah. So carlgould.com or sevenstageadvisors.com. And my gift to all of your listeners, anyone who wants to take me up on it is you'll notice on there um, on the sites, it'll say something about business analysis. We do a free consultation. It's up to two hours long with one of our growth advisors, no cost to any of your listeners. Out in the real world, we charge $1,500 for it. But anyone who wants to take us up on it, just go to the contact us, put in business analysis in the title, and we'll make sure that you spend a couple hours with one of our growth advisors and we'll show you how to uh, uh, scale up your business. That's that's fantastic. What a gift there. So appreciate that. All right. Again, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, being on the show and you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks so much, Todd. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.